Hi, I'm Philip Anthony Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. And this is episode 118, Satan's Got a Shop Vac. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com slash theweekindoubt. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Speaking of Audible, I had a listener reach out to me this weekend, and they told me they actually signed up for the Audible trial. Uh, So I'm psyched about that. Thank you very much. And uh, I told them half-jokingly that they might be the first. I'll have to look into it a little further, but sadly, I I think this might be the the first sign-up. But thank you very much. It means a lot. And uh, the person asked for me to simply refer to them as heresy because they're living in an area where there's not a lot of understanding for people who happen to be non-believers. And they're worried if people know that um, they're an atheist, that it could jeopardize their employment, their income, etc. And it's sad, it's sad whenever I hear something like that. Uh, here we are. In the 21st century, you know, the year 2014, you think that people would be more accepting to people who have a worldview that's based on reason and logic and that values evidence over superstition. Uh, It's kind of scary, but unfortunately, there's still a lot of non-believers out there dealing with that kind of adversity. And I mentioned before on the show how, even though I'm a non-believer myself, maybe I live in this kind of bubble, but I used to think that that was just people kind of breaking out the violins or being melodramatic. I didn't think that people would really be persecuted for being atheists or non-believers. But I also mentioned on the show a couple of times now how when I actually referred to myself as an atheist a couple of times socially, I did kind of see this kind of visceral negative reaction uh, in others. And a big part of it, I think, is that atheist is such a loaded word. I've kind of half-joked on the show before how if you were to explain your worldview to someone but left out the word atheist, uh, they might be a lot more accepting. There's something about that word. When people hear it, they automatically demonize you. They think you're some kind of cold person that doesn't see any of the magic or wonder in life. Um, They almost look at you as if you belong to a different species. And there's that funny anecdote I heard Richard Dawkins tell about uh, the SNL comedian Julia Sweeney. She was on SNL a long time ago, but she's a uh, atheist or a non-believer. And she tells this kind of sad joke. You know, it's funny, but it's sad and telling at the same time, where she told her mother she was an atheist, and her mother said something like, I don't mind if you don't believe in God, but an atheist? Uh, The word is just so demonized. Uh, But I don't know what this uh, particular listener's experience is like. Maybe they don't even refer to themselves as an atheist, and they're still met with opposition or uh, judgment simply because they're not religious or that they don't embrace Christianity like the majority of people around them do. 
I keep wanting to say her name, but I have to bite my tongue and remind myself they want to uh, remain anonymous except for the, uh, the moniker heresy. But I always love it when listeners get in touch. And uh, I want to thank you again for signing up for the um, Audible trial. I'm glad someone finally did. Now I won't feel as foolish when I read the Audible promos at the top of the show. Well, I'm feeling lazy, and we're already about four minutes into the show, so I'm going to skip the Twitter shoutouts a second week in a row. I apologize. I promise I will get back to them. Hopefully, um, next episode, I'll try not to make a liar out of myself. Okay, so why am I calling this show Satan's Got a Shop Vac? Other than the fact that it's absurdly funny, to me at least. Well, I am going to be covering a story that has to do with the Satanic Church or a Satanic Temple a little later. But first up, I have a strange little story involving a shop vac. And I promise it's nothing dirty. Oh, well, recently um, I did an episode, which I believe I entitled Stories from My Quote-Unquote Paranormal Past. Uh, No, I haven't had any genuine paranormal experiences. There were just little anecdotes from my past that were somehow related to the uh, topic of the supernatural. And now I think I might have another one to add to the list. So I've talked about on the show before how I'm both a freelance graphic designer and I also work in the uh, family construction business. So my brother and I have been doing a uh, remodeling job and we were in this big house alone last week. And I was in the room where we had all the tools set up and everything and I had been using a shop vac, and if you don't know what that is, it's basically just like a large plastic canister or bucket-style vacuum that's meant for uh, picking up kind of really heavy-duty debris and messes and so forth. So I shut the vacuum off, and I went to help my brother where uh, in another room where we were remodeling a bathroom. And a few minutes later, and mind you, we're the only ones in this big empty house, and all of a sudden, we hear this noise, and it's the shop vac. We're the only ones in the house. It's like a room or two over, and it just starts up by itself. And so I'm like, what? And I go over, and uh, I see, yep, it is the shop vac. It turned itself on. I shut it off. But it's funny. I, I can remember my initial reaction. I, I wasn't scared. I wasn't really spooked or anything. I think I was more, like, frustrated. Uh, and it was kind of like a comical reaction. I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, no. I've been doing this show geared towards atheists for the past two years. And now I'm going to start experiencing the paranormal. Come on, you got to be kidding me. And so I was kind of worried that, uh, in this weird neurotic way, I was worried that if it was a genuine paranormal experience, like all my work of the past two years would have been for naught. Um, But anyway, then I quickly reined myself in, and I'm like, there's only two possibilities. Either there was some kind of normal explanation, either there was some kind of electrical glitch, or... I remember when I turned the vacuum off, I was in a hurry to get to the other room. And I think I kind of flicked the switch, but maybe not enough. So it might have been kind of in the middle position instead of fully in the off position. And then gravity just did its thing and it ended up 
you know, slowly falling back to an on position. So I'm like, there's either a, a normal explanation for it or it was a genuine paranormal um, experience. So I did kind of two things. On the one hand, I reminded myself how I've never had a genuine paranormal experience in my life. And even the paranormal experiences of others can usually, usually be chalked up to gullibility or wish thinking or uh, the suspension of disbelief. And then I also reasoned with myself, like, why would this be a paranormal experience? If some kind of entity, be it God, be it some kind of uh, spirit, either benign or malignant, uh, if it has the power to interact with the physical world, out of all the things it could do that choose to try to communicate, why would it flip a vacuum switch? Uh, you know, it, it could have um, found a way to, to uh, have spoken through the radio. It could have found a way to uh, scratch a message on uh, a pane of glass or something. Why would it cryptically just flip the vacuum on and leave it at that? Um, and that reminded me of uh, one of my favorite skeptics is Michael Shermer. If you're listening to this podcast, there's probably a good chance you're familiar with him. And uh, during one of his talks, and I think he's included this in, in a number of his talks, actually, he talks about these kind of pattern errors that humans make and that they probably go all the way back to even before we were technically humans to our uh, kind of ape-like ancestors, uh, whether it be Australopithecus or whatever. And who knows, other animals may have some kind of instinctual pattern seeking too, sans our level of self-awareness. Um, but the first kind is called a false negative pattern error. And that would be like if you hear a rustling in the grass and you think, oh, it's probably nothing, it could end up being a poisonous snake or a predator or something like that. And that false negative could end up uh, costing you a lot of pain, literally, uh, if not your life. And then the other type of error is a false positive. And that's when you kind of jump to conclusions and you read more into something than you should, or you think that there's something there when there isn't. And I think this is an example of a false positive error, where something relatively mundane, like a vacuum going on by itself, um, maybe either because of an electrical glitch or surge, or because the lever um, kind of slowly fell back into the on position, you automatically jump to, or I did at least, one of the possibilities being the paranormal. Um, of all the possibilities for this appliance turning itself on, why does one of them have to be some kind of supernatural agency? Why not myriad other explanations? Why not one of the more banal and uh, more likely explanations. But it's funny, I think it goes to show how even skeptics, even rational people, well, at least me, uh, can sometimes fall victim to that superstitious impulse or that impulse to make the false positive error. And it kind of goes back where, you know, you can see that, I think, even kids at slumber parties or something like that. You hear something go bump in the night instead of assuming that it's either a tree brushing against the window or 
it's someone's parent walking around downstairs, you automatically jump to the more superstitious, but also possibly for kids at least, the more exciting and more fun conclusion that maybe it's uh, a ghost or something like that. But I just thought I would humiliate myself and uh, share that anecdote. So I promised you a satanic story. Um, I bet it's not every day that someone says that to you. And this story takes place in the wake of that recent controversial Hobby Lobby ruling, where Hobby Lobby, I believe it's a chain of craft stores that's run by a uh, conservative Christian or Christians, won this kind of landmark Supreme Court decision, which basically states that for-profit corporations can be exempt from laws that run in opposition to their uh, religious beliefs or their religious ethics. In the case of Hobby Lobby, it was that they didn't want to have to provide certain kinds of contraception via insurance to their employees. I think the ones I had the biggest issue with were so-called abortifacients. And the ruling upset a lot of people. And people, I think, on both sides of the aisle, perhaps, were predicting that it could be a slippery slope and it could open the door to um, all sorts of other religious groups claiming that they should be exempt from certain laws. But in this somewhat amusing story, a satanic group decided that they would make a statement by trying to um, exploit the same uh, loophole, in a sense, or trying to claim a similar exemption based on religious grounds. And for those of you who might not be familiar, I suppose in a in a simplified sense, you could say that there's basically two types of Satanists. Um, I don't know actual Satanists uh, <laughs> might recognize even further um, kind of sectarian denominations or whatever. But just to simplify things, you know, you have your Satanists on the one hand who are maybe um, disenfranchised young kids torturing animals in the cemetery, um, actually trying to uh, make contact with some kind of infernal power or something like that, or people who identify as Satanists and literally believe in a devil whose bidding they think they're doing or whose favor they're trying to win or something like that. And then there's what I guess you would call Levian Satanism, um, I believe he's passed now, but decades ago, a figure by the name of Anton LaVey, uh, I think he had a history as kind of like a carnival worker or something like that, but he started his own organization, the Church of Satan, and to LaVeyan Satanists, um, they're, they're pretty much, it, it'd be safe to call them atheists in a sense. They don't believe in a literal devil. Um, they use Satan as kind of a symbol or a metaphor for uh, rebellion and for assertion of one's own will and, and whatnot. Um, but they don't actually believe in a literal devil uh, or anything like that. And the feeling I get from the article is that that's the kind of... Uh, Satanist group we're dealing with, something more like uh, Levian Satanists. And to be honest with you, I can't even remember where I got this article from. I don't know if it's from the Huff Post or what. 
I just copied the whole article and posted it into my um, show notes for the week. But it's uh, by an author named Aaron Carmen, Aaron, I-R-I-N. And I'll read a bit from it now. It's dated uh, July 29th. Satanists aren't the only ones following Hobby Lobby's lead. On Monday, the Satanic Temple drew headlines for declaring that, in the wake of the Supreme Court's decision in Burwell versus Hobby Lobby stores, it was asserting a religious exemption from the burden of state-mandated informational abortion materials for those who share their deeply held beliefs. In other words, they wanted a conscience clause from laws intended to dissuade women from having abortions by mandating an ultrasound or that a doctor impart biased or medically inaccurate information about abortion. The Satanists, that's kind of funny, the Satanists stated that they believe, quote unquote, the body is inviolable subject to one's own will alone. And they strive to make all decisions regarding personal health based on the best scientific understanding of the world, regardless of the religious or political beliefs of others. You can see that sounds pretty rational there and probably in keeping with uh, Levain Satanism. They don't really have any supernatural beliefs and and these Satanists uh, at least seem to um, value a scientific understanding of the world. And in quotes here, it says, uh, we will follow up with a legal suit if and when the exemption fails to be respected or recognized. Lucian Greaves, a spokesman for the Satanic Temple, told MSNBC. (laughs) That's kind of funny, the uh, Satanic Temple talking to MSNBC. We are not looking to proactively sue to have informed consent laws repealed. But the Satanists are hardly the first to use religion to make an affirmative argument for reproductive rights. For decades, pro-choice activists have been trying to make a religious claim for their view and generally failing. Pagans, Christians, Jewish women, Muslims. Anyone religious who chooses an abortion as a matter of conscience should claim exemption from laws that burden their choice. Oh, and this actually, I believe that quote is attributed to Priscilla Smith of Yale Law School. In fact, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, RFRA, the law under which Hobby Lobby won, was originally opposed by anti-abortion activists and members of Congress who feared it would be used to make that very argument, that access to abortion and the right of every woman to plan her family was a matter of religious conscience. Um, So that kind of goes to the point I made earlier, that a lot of people were afraid that this kind of jaw-dropping decision that was made by the Supreme Court in favor of Hobby Lobby could then open a door to other religious groups or even um, pro-choice people being able to benefit from these same kind of quote-unquote religious exemptions. So it's kind of funny. You can see there um, that these Satanists, quote-unquote Satanists, uh, as a group seem to be people that not only value scientific understanding, but are actually also fighting for women's uh reproductive rights, so a a pretty enlightened group. And uh, I certainly don't like the first group of Satanists I described, you know, the kind of uh, people actually trying to contact some infernal power and uh, killing poor defenseless animals, or there was that horrible serial killer decades ago, Richard Ramirez, I think he was called the Night Stalker, who committed these really 
heinous crimes and claim to be doing it in the name of Satan. But I actually kind of dig the Levian Satanists. I mean, uh, they're colorful. I like their kind of rebellious spirit. There are some times when I've taken issue with them in the past. In fact, uh, a long time ago, it's probably still in the archives, I did an episode called The Dark Side of Atheism, and it was me talking about uh, certain either high-profile atheists or, or types of atheism that I have a problem with. And I went after Ayn or Ayn Rand, you know, the famous author of uh, Atlas Shrugged and The Fountainhead, because I don't like her kind of uh, social Darwinism, her kind of social survival of the fittest uh, worldview. And I also went after certain members of the Church of Satan uh, who hold or held uh, a similar kind of uh, social Darwinist worldview. And I'm in the camp of uh, like Richard Dawkins, who says that as a scientist, you know, as a rational person, I'm paraphrasing, he fully embraces the concept of Darwinian evolution. But as a human being, he detests social Darwinism. And I'm in that same uh, kind of category in a sense where it's, come on, biological evolution is a fact, but social Darwinism is a man-made concept and it can be a very dangerous one. It, it's often linked to this kind of ruthless capitalism. You can sometimes think of uh, this kind of Wall Street mentality. Eugenics would be another example of social Darwinism. But on that note, I guess I'll call this episode a wrap. As always, you know the drill. You can like the Facebook page. You can follow the show on Twitter. Even though I haven't uploaded anything in a while, you can check out the YouTube channel. Um, you can also listen on Stitcher. You can subscribe to the show or check out the archives through Podbean. If you feel generous, you can use the PayPal widget to uh, donate as little as 99 cents to the show's upkeep. And you can also donate to the show by going to uh, Patreon and doing a search for Phil or Philip 1L, Albertelli, Albertelli, three L's. Uh, for some reason, when you search for the week in doubt, it, the page doesn't come up. But when you search for my name, uh, the page comes up. And I think you can pledge something like a dollar a month or something like that. All right, now that I'm done asking for money, uh, I'll call it a wrap, and until next week, all right, thank you.